Hey y'all, Jesse here from the See You Next Tuesday podcast. We are going to be going on a break for the first time in over a year for the month of December. Yeah, I know, you'll miss us. So we have curated some of our favorite episodes and why they're our favorites for the month of December. So stay tuned. We will still be coming at you every Tuesday. They will be reruns, but you'll get a little bit of inside information from us. We hope you enjoy and have a safe, happy holiday season. We'll see you in 2023. Hi, this is the See You Next Tuesday podcast. We have dirty words and shit potholes throughout the entire episode. Our name literally spells cunt. How could you not know what was coming? Thanks for listening. Okay, now we're recording this conversation. Okay, great. Now that we're done. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of the See You Next Tuesday podcast. I'm Jesse. I'm Amanda. And we were talking about things we do to survive. Because I'm in survival mode. Yeah, you definitely are. It's involving TV and drinking. I mean, that's involved, I mean, most of us, right? Isn't that yeah. what you do? So I actually, you know what we did? We got rid of cable. You guys did? Yes. So you're like us? You're only streaming now? Yes. How does it feel? It was scary at first because I'm old, right? Right. Yes. So we had like, I don't know if it was the first cable ever, but it was the box with the thing that you slid back and forth to get to your channels. And there was only like 69 channels. (laughs) Yes. I'm going to go with, yeah, that sounds... And and it was connected by a cord to the TV and it only stretched so far, which was not your couch. Oh, no. Oh, no. So I've had cable ever since then. Damn. There was never not a moment where I was without cable. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm thinking back to my my childhood, too. Yeah, we always had cable. We always got basic cable because, you know, then they started doing the packages. Like, oh, "Oh, then you can have this, this and this. And then satellite came out and they were like... My parents are always like, that's overpriced. We're never going to pay for that. I don't even know what they have now, but. Yeah. Okay. So it, it was kind of scary, even though I didn't watch all those goddamn channels. How many channels did you have? I don't fucking know. Well, we had Sling. Okay. I don't know if that counts as cable because technically it was based. Like we didn't have like a, you know. Cable provider. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it, it was through like. The internet. Right. Like, our internet went down. We couldn't watch it. But we got all the channels we got with cable. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. Okay. And I'm sitting there one day at work, and this is what goes through my mind when I'm doing the meaningless tasks that I'm required to do, or I get called into my boss's office yet again, and I'm like, you know, I really only watch Bravo, TLC, and I don't watch the ID channel that much anymore because we do this and we research this. And yeah. I really don't watch it that much anymore. And then I watch my college football. I'm like, I bet I could do all that streaming. I don't watch all that other shit. And then I either watch the Hulu or the Netflix that we have. Exactly. So I get on my phone at work while well, I'm supposed to be doing the meaningless tasks that they require me to do. And I'm like... How do you stream Bravo? Peacock. No, no, not Peacock. Uh, Peacock? Hulu actually has some Bravo, right? Some of it, but I wanted like... All of it. Access to the whole Bravo. Absolutely. Is it Peacock? Is that what I have? Yes. And then I Google, how do you watch TLC? 
And then I found Discovery Plus. Yes, Discovery Plus has a lot. Oh, girl. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So now we do not have Sling anymore, which we are spending like 85 bucks a month on. 85 just for that? Yeah. Well, we got a lot of channels. True. But then, you know, I'm like worried about my college football, right? Absolutely. But we had already gotten ESPN Plus. Oh. So now we have, right? No, yeah, go. Hulu, uh-huh. ESPN Plus, Disney Plus, which nobody in my family watches, but I'm it was part of that, that three I'm package. I'm about to change that. I got some shit for you to watch on that. Oh, it's part of the package. I was going to ask you yeah. about the package deal because that's a yes. good ass deal. Yeah. But let me tell you, I thought I told why we got the package. Because we had Hulu, right? Which was $7 a month. We were mm-hmm. going to add ESPN Plus, which was $9 a month. Mm-hmm. That's $17. But that package is only $13. Exactly. So I'm it's like, like this I is don't a give a shit if nobody watches Disney Plus. Exactly. We're gonna, watch it. Okay, don't watch it. I don't give a shit. I'm saving $4. Exactly. So we got Hulu, ESPN Plus, Disney Plus, Netflix. Now we have Peacock and Discovery Plus. Nice. Do you want to know how much we're paying for all this shit? How much? $23. Oh, shit. Ooh, sounds like you can finally slide in the old HBO Plus because you're saving that much money. No, I cannot because let me tell you what happened while this decision was being made. Okay. So we're sitting on the couch and I say, because, you know, I'm like anxious about this, right? Of course. Because I've had cable my whole life. Right. So I'm nervous, and I'm like, and we're sitting there, and we're watching TV, and I said, honey, how much do you really watch The Sling? And he's like, I don't know. He's like, I really only turn the TV on for background noise until you get home. And I kind of was thinking, until I get home, and what, start running my mouth? What? (laughs) But I don't say that. I'm like, well, because here's what I was thinking. And I laid it all out for him, and he was like... Okay, fine. I don't have a problem with it. And then I'm like, wait, wait, do we really want to do this? Like, are you sure? You don't have a problem with it? I mean, I need some pushback here. <laughs> Something. Because and he's a big decision. And by this point, he's already on his phone. He has his thumb hovering over the cancel button on the sling. Because it's that easy. Of course it is. And I'm like, don't do it. 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 Do it. Do it. Do it. So he cancels it, right? And here I'm on the computer. On my computer. I'm like... Okay, signing up for the peacock. Put him, you know. Mm-hmm. And then it takes me like five hours to create the password because, you know, everywhere you go has different parameters for their stupid password. Yeah, eight letters, special characters, ten, ten letters. letters. Lowercase, uh, uppercase. You're like, dudes, I don't care if they hack in. They can watch whatever the fuck they want. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. End right. of the and, day. And I'm one of those people that IT people hate. I use the same fucking password for everything because I cannot remember 500 passwords in my life. You sure you want me saying that? <laughs> like they're going to find whatever that password is, right? It, they won't find it. Okay, good. Hot chocolate number 89. Knew it. So I've added the peacock, right? Yeah. I'm going to add Discovery Plus. And you know what that mother trucker says to me? What? Are you sure you really need both? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What? I got, we just, we, we just, just, we. I'm saving us money and I'm telling you I can save us money and get the services that most of us will watch. Why the hell? What the? I'm like, what? What the fuck? Hmm. What? Hmm. We just, 
we just made this decision and now you're trying to pull an audible? Yeah, and, and not just that. You're not Brett Favre. Sorry. Okay. Well, thank God he's not. Oh. I'm sure there is a better quarterback. That was the first name that I came know. to my head. I know. Probably because <laughs> he's on the most commercials. I don't fucking know. Yeah, that's probably true. So I'm like, I'm sorry. We just discussed this. I'm like, listen. I go, remember that sling you just canceled? You know that favorites button that we had at the top? I, all of those channels that I had under the favorites... These two things that cost a total of $10 a month are on these two streaming services. Yep. And he goes, yeah, but can you really watch all these things that we have streaming now? I go, could you watch all of the sling that you just canceled? Exactly. He's like, I didn't say you couldn't get it. I was just asking. Mm-hmm. I go, and the password is going to be hot chocolate 86. <laughs> Sign up and pay. Yeah. And we're done with this conversation. So you don't think you can slide in an HBO Max into that situation? That's exactly what I'm saying. Damn it. The only reason I'm saying that is because, man, the freaking, not just like, I mean, obviously true crime aside, which it's great for stuff like that. Of course, we need to research and, and shit, but the shows that they have are so good and they're funny and you know, it's HBO. They got some good shit on there. So I will trade you your HBO Plus password for my Discovery Plus password because mm-hmm. Discovery Plus has the ID, the snapped, all of those things. That's so good. Okay. We'll talk after this. Okay. <laughs> Make a fair trade. Pink oh, Dildo69 is my password. <laughs> Speaking of 69, <laughs> welcome to episode 69, everybody. <laughs> we were so stoked. I even labeled my next episode wrong. I was so excited. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're, we're happy to be here with you. 69 and good times. <laughs> and if you in, I, if you don't laugh at that, what is wrong with you? I know. It's just so fun. Like, come on. There's just so... We got to take joy where you can get it, right? <laughs> Especially nowadays. My God. Oh, my God. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh. Well, that's awesome. I'm glad you made the plunge. Honestly, we did, God, a long time ago. And I was like you. I was like, but what if there's a thing I want to watch and then everyone's watching it and I can't watch it? And then streaming became what it is now. And I was like, ah, I'm not missing shit, you know? Yeah. It, I mean, it was scary, but... Of course. So, you know what I've been doing? Now, I could have done this with... Granted, I could have done this with the sling. I just... I guess I never thought about it. Or... Maybe it's because I wasn't quietly quitting at work before. Uh, I have been watching TV at work. <laughs> Hell yeah, dude. Like, how are you doing it? Are you doing it like screen on screen where you can like hide a screen over it? You know, like a window over it? No, no. I do it on my phone. Ah. So you just like what? Prop your phone up? Like. I have it kind of. So I'm in a cubicle, everyone. Mm-hmm. So I'm against a wall and I, I'm actually in. I only have one opening to my cubicle, mm-hmm. and so I have my phone kind of angled this way so nobody else can see my phone, yeah. and I got one earbud in, and I'm... <laughs> Doing the thing. Uh-huh. Good for you. Dude, honestly, whatever gets through your work, you through their work day, you know, like some people at used to listen to podcasts, you know, some people yeah. listen to music, Yeah. you know, odd books on tape, whatever the... Books on tape, Jess. <laughs> 
audiobooks. How old am I? 22. Right now. You're yeah. T- you're only 22. Yep. I'm a young kid. Young folk, y'all. Sure. No. So, I mean, what the fuck? What are you know? So sometimes it's you look different down. than a podcast. It's really not. It's just a podcast with, with moving pictures. pictures. Yeah. You know, no big deal. <sighs> the trashy reality TV that I'm watching. Is that what you watch? Uh-huh. That's great. You can't, you all caught up? I, I started with season... I'm in season two of a trashy reality show. Which one? Real Housewives? No, it's worse. How? How can it be... Well... So, do you remember when we went to the podcast festival? Yes. And I introduced you to um, Ma- what? Mama's 90 Day Fiance? No, no. I'm dating Mama's Boy Oh, or God bless America. That fucking show. That's not what I'm watching. Okay. But I, that one guy wanted to... <laughs> with his mom. It, it's, that was gnarly. Ugh. Gross. It's like that, but the opposite. It's called smothered it's moms and daughters oh no oh no how are you not triggered how can you watch this is it good though it is so good i've actually almost found myself talking out loud to my phone (laughs) people like what you're like "Hmm, i was like i actually did thank god it was under my breath because i was like oh no sis you gotta get rid of your mama (laughs) and they're like what'd you say you're like i'm gonna have a banana for lunch. Does anybody want one? I don't know. <laughs> Thank God they're used to me mumbling to myself all day at work. Oh, okay, good. So if somebody heard me talking to myself, like, it's not out of the norm. Yeah. But yeah. No. So what you're saying is you just got to watch yourself a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. This quiet quitting thing is great. <laughs> <laughs> I threw my work ethic out the window and I'm <laughs> loving it. Hey, man. Is this the new, is this the new thing? We just should like, just do the work pers- like sub- prescribed to us by our bosses? I don't even think I'm doing that. TBD. <laughs> I may be setting up a GoFundMe because I've gotten fired. <laughs> can you set up one for yourself? I, yeah, you can. <laughs> you can, yes. Is oh, that God. kind of classy with a K to do that? It's a little classy with a K. But I mean, hey, it's fun. I mean, you know, <laughs> hey, you only live once. You might as well, you know, do what you need to do this go around. <laughs> I thought it was 2022 and all bets were off. Oh, God. Aren't they? I mean, seriously. I think we're all kind of past it at this point, aren't we? I am. Shit, yeah. I mean, that's great, though. Ah, well, this is the answer to your question at the beginning. Why do I just go home and just sit on my couch and watch my new programs? And drink and just, you know, that's why. <laughs> right there. You're like, F it. You're in the F it stage of your life. I really am. Yeah. But I wonder, I think I've always been here. You just haven't let yourself fully experience fuck at, fuck, fuck itness, I guess. Yes. Yeah. Well, I'm welcome. I, I'm not there. Not like I'm welcoming you to my club. Shit, I need to get over to your club. I care too, too much. The problem you need the other way. Another ten years of jadedness mm. to get here. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, I have something to look forward to now. You do. I'll Yay. welcome you to the club with open arms and teach you the secret handshake. <laughs> 
can't wait. Is the password hot chocolate? It's not. 86. God dang it. <laughs> Purple dildo. <sighs> oh. Well, do you want to learn about the C that we're going to talk about today? For of course 69? I do. They better be 69 worthy. I hope so. Oh, God. This is this is bad. <laughs> oh, God. This is going to be real bad. Am I going to cry? Maybe not. It, it's definitely not a good story. I mean, what, what story do we ever tell that it's like, and then everyone lived happily ever after. Uh, our treasure children. True. This is true. I mean, like, C's. I guess Nicholas, maybe. Kedro, uh, not Nicholas Kedrowitz, um, the guy I covered, sorry. What was the kid's name? Shit. He was just in the fucking, speaking of Netflix, he was in Netflix. Oh. That kid. Anyway. But, yeah, no, this one's a little more tougher. And, again, speaking of Netflix, I watched an episode of I'm a Killer. Mm-hmm. Have you watched, you watched this? I yes. think I tried. Me too. It's hard. I didn't realize how hard it would be to watch that because I often don't want to hear from the person who's killed someone else. I really don't. I, well, I think I tried as in like I started it and then I got distracted and I paused it and I forgot to go back. Oh yeah, that's fair. Yeah. I started with like season one, episode one, and it's this like bald dude. He comes out and he starts telling about how he killed these guys, and I was just like, "Oh no, I don't, I don't, I don't want to know about your side of the story," you know. But at the same time, they've included. Now I kind of want to watch the the series after watching this one because I'm like, hmm, I have a feeling not all these people are who we think they are. Maybe that's the point: is changing the the preconceived notions we have about all these people that are quote unquote killers. Right. Right. So I. I'm referencing that there was actually quite a bit of information from that documentary and not so much on the internet. Believe it or not, there was a Murderpedia article that looked pretty good, Missouri.net. There were a couple other articles from sites that I was like, I'm not really sure about this website, so I didn't get source material from there. And then there were two, well, case, basically the, the open case files to read through that were 70 plus pages. And I was like, okay, I'm not reading through that. You, you mean I'm you didn't sorry. read? <laughs> I didn't read it in time. I mean, I read whole books and you can't read 70 pages. True. No, I can't. That's the problem. I well, we am not a fast reader. The most dedicated. Oh, wow. Really? Really? <laughs> we're going here today? Spicy today. Uh, so he got to speak in his own words a lot. Mm-hmm. So it will be ta- told from his point of view. However, I will be offering, but then this, your own point of view. Yeah. I'll be kind of trying to play the, or, or at least offer, but then this could have also happened kind of moments. Mm-hmm. However, I will say after watching this and understanding things about it, I am more on his side. So let's get hmm. into it. Interesting. Yes. David Michael Barnett was born on May 18, 1976, in St. Louis, Missouri. His mom didn't want him when he was born, so she gave him to a friend of hers, Robert Biggerstaff. You know what amazes me? Hmm. How many people just gave away babies in the 70s? Dude. Even before that, like in the like 20s and 30s, they had like, they would literally like leave kids with like little old ladies they didn't even know. And it was, like, acceptable. And totally people fine. didn't question, like, nope. your 
anything or where you came from or why somebody had you and they didn't know where you were born. And they also didn't like vet the person they're leaving you with. No. At all. They found like, I mean, there's houses of kids that got abused or, you know, murdered, sad to say, back in those days because, because of that. And yeah, it was crazy. They even sold kids. There were photos like from the twenties. I'm like, this is, you know, obviously the great depression when they were literally trying to sell their children just to get money because they couldn't even afford their kids. Nuts. But yeah, that's what happened. His mom was just like, I don't want him here. You can have him to her friend, Robert. Robert was an alcoholic and he was in and out of jail a lot. But when he was home, he would molest David. He would beat him and neglect him. David didn't even know where his next meal was coming from. And he was always dirty. And sometimes he said he would try to find like what he said was clothes, hanger food out of vending machines. He was three and four years old. So he was a baby, baby. So at around four to five, family services finally got involved. Not sure exactly how they got involved. I am guessing it was a regular checkup. Like previous, th- my guess is mom goes, cause you have to sign the birth certificate, right? Mm-hmm. He's with this guy now. Now family services is involved because that's his, I'm assuming guardian. Maybe not legally. I, who know? I, it was sketch as to how they got involved. But once the caseworker saw how they were living, she was like, absolutely not. And she tried to get David out of the situation. David actually recalls her giving him this like stuffed animal, you know, and in hugging him and like actually giving him an affection and everything as a young child. And he remembers just latching onto her. And like instantly being like, thank God, you know, I'm finally safe. And she even said, I'm going to take you away from this. He remembers that very, very distinctly, even to this day. Mm -hmm. Robert then asked for a moment alone with David in another room. They're like, okay, fine. You know, like say goodbye and all that stuff. But then he kidnapped him, took him away from there and hit him in the trunk of his car for two weeks. Two weeks? Yeah. So David, again, wasn't being fed or bathed during this time. My guess is he would, like, let him out to go to the back, you know, let him out. But then, like, the rest of the time, he's probably just stuck in the fucking trunk because he's a four- and five-year-old kid. Oh, my God. Yeah. Obviously, the cops soon found Robert because my guess, he wasn't that smart. I mean, he's an alcoholic. He's probably not covering his tracks very well. Well, he was probably... Not even trying to hide. Nah. I mean, he was trying to hide David, but he wasn't trying to hide himself. Himself, yeah. yeah. So Robert got arrested, and David never saw this person again. Thank God. However, David then had to enter the foster system. In 1982, at age six, David went to live with the Reams family. It was a husband and wife, Rita, and their two kids, and David really liked this family. He said Rita was a great mom. Six months after he was adopted, Rita got a job overseas, so they told David, unfortunately, he wouldn't be able to stay with them. And And why couldn't they take him? My guess is it's foster. Oh, okay. So it's not your child. Right, right, right. She literally was like, I I can't, you know, unfortunately, this just happened to be the wrong timing. And of course, he was heartbroken and just questioned, what did I do wrong this time? What did I do to where these people don't love me? And why they're abandoning me again. Which, of course, again, formative years. That's what children think at that age. Of course. They don't that's know. That's so sad. What a poor baby. Yeah. Rita said David was never violent. He was a great kid when she, he, he was living with them. 
She could tell that he, without stability in his life, however, David's life might not go well, especially after being what he'd gone through. Right. So after about a year back in the foster system, David was fostered again at age eight, this time by a man named John Barnett. John Barnett was a single man who used to make money in IT, and according to a friend, he gave all that up and started to work with disadvantaged kids. He even became a computer teacher at a local high school. He was a school bus driver, and he got awards, like, all the time. Like, he was the best bus driver award, you know? And even one of John's students in the computer class, Cecil, was having trouble at home, and she went to live with John when she was 14. Ew. David said that John was like a mom and a dad all in one, as in he was charming and caring. He was very, you know kind to him he took care of he fed him for, i mean you know well you know he there's that kind of has low standards yeah. at this point yeah definitely and david recalls one time that john sat him down and asked him would you like to be my son and david said i already am and he said no no, no. like officially be my son i want to adopt you and he said of course i want to be your son are you kidding me like yes so David even recalled, and the interview I think happened when he was in his 40s, like that was one of the happiest moments of his entire life. It was like, somebody finally wants me. Mm -hmm. A couple of months after being adopted, David was worried, however, about who John actually was. He started to have very high expectations for David. He would, okay, so I put in here, beat him. I'm going to say, it, it. this sounds weird, but there's like levels there's 1980s parenting, and then there's a level above that. Right, And then right. there's a level above that. You know what I mean? Yes. We're going to go 1980s parenting plus. Yeah. This is where we're at. In fact, David recalls, like, he had a, a class ring, one of those big-ass heavy ones. Mm -hmm. And when he was hit, he always remembered that ring. Right. You know, so it's one of those kind of, this is not good. Then, right after he would beat David, he would start, he would cradle him and caress him and kiss him and say, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, come here, sit on my lap, give me a hug, I'm, you know. So he had this duality. Right. But then he started touching David more Ugh. and more. Yeah. And this was right around when David was eight or nine years old. It escalated. He did start touching his genitals and David started dissociating, losing lots of time. Just every time those events took place, he said, quote, he didn't want to exist, that he wanted to die. And from what David said, he was not raped, but very close to it. John Barnett then adopted two other boys after David. And the younger one, Eric, looked up to him. Eric and David were like best friends, like almost immediately. But then David being older, he kind of felt a sense of responsibility, like, I need to take care of this kid, because he's, like, coming into this world that he has no idea about, so I need to right. protect him. But at the same time, he said he, he knew he couldn't. He was a kid. Mm -hmm. But he was also really conflicted, because he was also glad that the abuse wasn't just happening to him. Like, now it wasn't always going to be focused on him. So you could tell there was, like, a lot of... Guilt, remorse, a lot of emotions there. Right. So at age 15, 
David and one of his friends, his only friends, Jason, found a photo in John's bedside table drawer with a torso. Now, I'm just going to say this. This is a trigger warning. Okay, I should have said that at the beginning. Sorry about that, everybody. This is an SP episode. This photo had the torso of a young pubescent boy with John's arm and his distinctive ring on his hand, and his hand was holding the boy's penis. So they thought this is the photo that's going to incriminate this guy so that David can get out of this situation and Jason can help him. So from what I understand, Jason and David were pretty close during high school, right? Mm -hmm. He didn't have many friends. He was obviously... Not a well-adjusted kid, based on how he grew up. I don't ever... They didn't say, and I didn't read anything about, like I said, David being violent, like Rita said. But it was more like, you could tell he had a fucked up childhood. Right, right, right. So, apparently he did let Jason know about what was going on with him, enough to where this photo wasn't like, what the fuck? Right. Jason was like, aha, we got him. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong, they were disturbed as fuck, but... They walked to the local police station... They showed it directly to a female detective. They said they slid it across the table like you do, like with like, you know, here's this, here's the salary range I want. And then they slide it back, yeah. you know, that finger movement. And she slid it back instantly, looked at them, told Jason to go wait outside. Jason went to wait outside. David and her talked and David walked out, got in the car and said, they aren't going to do anything for us. Let's go. So they refused to, to do anything with that evidence. What? Yep. They were both devastated. And again, his cries for help had fallen through the cracks in the system. So here's where I'm going to play devil's advocate. There is no, from what I've seen, evidence of that photo. Now, that could, anything could have happened to that photo, right? Any number of things. They could have thrown out the fucking car window, like, screw this guy. Mm-hmm. They could, You know what I'm saying? So... I don't question the validity of it, especially because his friend was very much like, why would he lie about something like that? Right. Why, what, why would you lie about that? Yeah. I just feel like I, the whole situation with the police, again, I don't know enough about the law, but I would have thought that it would have at least warranted a hmm, maybe we should go check on this house. Maybe we should just do a real quick wellness check. How many kids are living in this home? Yeah. What's going on here? All of that, but it didn't. So then remember Cecil, the girl that started living with them in Mm -hmm. high school? Okay. Well, she said she never witnessed any abuse of the boys. Instead, John would wait until she was asleep and then touch and kiss her inappropriately. Ugh. She, again, she's 14. She thought, this is okay. You know, this is how people love each other. This is how, remember, Stacey Leonard, this is how my dad loves me, right? It's that whole thing. And she didn't really know better. She lived there only for a summer, and then her and David grew close. They actually started seeing each other as boyfriend and girlfriend, and then Cecil got pregnant. Oh. They had a baby. I know. Aww. Babies having babies. I know. The kid is so cute, by the way. It was a very sweet photo of him. Cecil said John was actually upset by her getting pregnant. And she's like, it's probably because he was jealous. Probably. Which, think about that. That's fucked up. This guy is mental in the worst ways. So, this is, again, it, this is time frames. 
information around 17, 18 years old. So Cecil was started going to college and David would stay home with their son and, you know, be a dad essentially. Right. Well, Cecil was realizing, look, it's run its course. Our relationship has run its course. You know, mm-hmm. we're kind of growing apart. I'm going to college. I'm doing my thing. You're doing your thing. We just, we're done. But in the documentary, she felt bad. She was like ending the relationship. She's like, I'm just, I feel awful because I'm another person just pushing him away. But I, I'm going to let her off the hook. It's like, no, you just know when you know the relationship's yeah, yeah. over. has nothing to do with. But I can, I appreciate her empathy for him knowing what he went through right. and what he was going through. So interesting thing about John Barnett. So this is what I'm getting from him is he's very much the... I'm a really good guy guy mm-hmm. on the outside. Right. Obviously, there's this disgusting nefariousness underneath. Mm-hmm. And so every other Sunday, he would take the kids with him to his parents' house, their grandparents. They lived on the same street. So the grandparents were Leona and Clifford. Oh, my God. Leona. Leona and Clifford. I mean, that is just... <laughs> The most 1919 names ever. Yes. And so they would have the the family dinner every other Sunday. David learned how to cook from Leona, and he found the love he had been searching for his whole life in her. He just was like, she was such a sweet lady. I am going to extrapolate. This is me saying this. I think he viewed her kind of as like a mom. Yeah. He finally had a mom. Right. And however, Clifford was stern. He didn't. He did hit the kids, but again, this is now we're at 1980s parenting, where it's like, you get hit by grandpa hard, but it doesn't go excessive. Right, right, Like John was doing. Right. And oddly enough, Clifford had a ring just like John's. Big old class ring. Don't know if it was from the same college or what, but big old class ring on the hand. So every time Clifford hit David, it reminded him of what... John was doing. In fact, according to David, he started to see Clifford as John and John as Clifford at one point. Mm-hmm. It just became mind melted. And Leona was really the only place David could receive love. David lived with John until he was 18 and then he moved out after an argument. David then lived with friends or on the streets, basically homeless. He didn't really tell his grandparents what was going on and especially not what was going on with him and John, the molestation, all that crap. But he said he thinks that they knew. Leona actually asked how he was doing. He didn't tell her the full truth at that time because he was afraid that he'd be rejected again. Right. Like by the the people that allegedly love him, going to kick him out. So when his grandparents offered to rent him their car, like, hey, we'll help you at least have a, like a car. You can just pay us, I'm going to guess, like 50 bucks a month or something like that. And then that way you can have it to get a job and get a place, all that. Set yourself up. Mm-hmm. He took him up on the offer. And then on the morning of February 4th, 1996, when he was 19, David led himself into his grandparents' home while they were at church. So he waited for them to come home, turn on the TV, fell asleep on the couch. They came home around one. My understanding, I did read the police report is he went in to, for the car. Essentially that was the day he was going to get the car. According to John, or excuse me, David, he went in 
to tell him what the fuck John was doing. Right. Today is the day. Well, I'm just going to, he may have gone in for both reasons. You know, like I'm going to pick up the car and while I'm here, y'all just had your little healthy dose of Jesus at the Baptist church. It was a Baptist church that I do know. I was about to say, how do you know it was the Baptist church? <laughs> it was a Baptist church. Now is a good time for us to have this conversation. So according to David, they started talking. He let them know what John was doing to them. Obviously, he didn't believe it. I mean, why would you ever want to believe that about your own child? Right. And they started getting a little heated about it, arguing. Clifford came close to David and he said that, quote, he went somewhere dissociating from himself, from himself and he blacked out. When he came to, David was staring at a wall and there was no blood on his hands, but there was a lot of blood around him and Clifford was laying on his left, dead on the floor. David started thinking, what did you do? And then he saw Leona down the hallway and he realized that he had stabbed them both to death. Oh my God. After the murders, he hid a knife under their mattress pad and then washed the blood off his hands in a sink. He then drove away from their home in one of their cars and early next morning walked up to a cop and confessed. After his crime, David saw the reports that there were dozens of stab wounds with multiple knives. That's why I said a knife. Some were stuck deeply in their bones. Other knives were broken. They also had broken ribs, I think a fractured jaw, like it was gnarly. There were 12 stab wounds wounds alone in Leona's neck. David later said that he went into like a state of rage and that he killed two innocent people. And by that, I mean, he's saying that statement in the documentary, not because he remembers it, but that's what a therapist told him. Yeah. You can tell it was like, Oh, and then I did this and I dissociated. Like, it was all very, like, you've had some therapy in prison, you know? He also says to this day and on that documentary that he does not remember what the fuck happened. The cops filled in the blanks and they put in, like, then he climbed in through a window. They definitely editorialized their police report quite a bit, if I may say so. Maybe I'm a little, like, on one side, but it was, like, climbed in through a window with the intent to go in and kill his grandparents. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. okay, dude. But there was a lot more details in there. You can tell they did some cl- crime scene, like, I want to say reenactment, but basically, like, this is what happened when. Yeah. I, I didn't want to get into it. It just, like, felt like, yeah, just a lot. In March 1997, he went on trial for their murders. The jury foreman said that you couldn't help but be intimidated by the severity of the charges. I mean... And looking at the photos, and it just had to have been a lot. And I, I understand what they what they mean. You see two grandparents, little innocent people out yeah. there, and then they look like that. You're like, what is wrong with this monster, you know? So Rita found out about David again only after the deaths of Clifford and Leona. And then so she got involved in his trial. She was like, okay, let's see what's going on here. She sat through all of it. She noticed that his defense attorney didn't use any of the abuse as part of the, his defense. And she asked... Her about this she was like why aren't you talking about his history of abuse and you know molestation all of these things and the attorney told her oh it wouldn't help his case so I'm not going to include it really it wouldn't help Mm-mm. yeah I was like I think it kind of would I think it gives a whole baseline here for what yeah, happened I, I'm almost 100% positive it would fucking help <laughs> yeah 
There was a, actually a long list of people David requested to be a part of his witness list that were not contacted, including his friend Jason. It's unclear what happened to the photograph, like I said, but shitty-ass attorney work, dude. I mean, just come on, y'all. Can I tell you what I've been thinking this entire time? Please, please. You know that photo? Mm. I think it was his dad and him, not him, with one of the boys. Oh, you think so? They have the same ring. Mm. He learned that behavior somewhere. (gasps) So is the grandpa. Uh Uh-huh. Oh my God, it might be. Ooh, that's interesting. And so do you think that may be why the the argument Mm -hmm. popped off? Ooh, shit. I didn't even think about that. Again, that's our opinion. That's all hearsay. We have no evidence for any of this. No, no, no. But that's an interesting theory, yeah. That's just what I've been thinking the entire time. Mm. You said the grandfather had the exact same ring. Mm -hmm. It's weird, right? I find that the... I'll tell you my theory when I'm done with that, but I like that. Huh. Okay. So obviously on March 21st, 1997, we are talking about a documentary called I Am a Killer where they're talking to people in prison. At age 20, David was convicted of two counts of first degree murder and he was sentenced to death. So I just want to really take a little hard note on that first degree part. I don't know how the fuck they got intent. Yeah. Like, I could see a second degree, for mm-hmm. sure, mm-hmm. all day. But a first? That's hard to prove. My guess is it's because they, he did kill little old grandparents. Yeah, and I think, you know, it comes down to you have to really believe him when he says he blacked out. Yeah. Yeah, and this is 97. Mm-hmm. We're only just now scraping the surface of the brain and what happens when you dissociate and people who are in these abusive relationships. See, and they didn't talk about the abuse. Exactly. I think absolutely. If they had, I don't think, I think it would have been a hung jury, to be honest. I think it would have been a half and half. So I think it really came down to them being like, I don't believe he blacked out. Mm-hmm. Essentially. Which, yeah, I'll be honest. If I was presented that evidence, I'd be like, come on, dude. Come on, blacked out, come on. If you didn't know all of the stuff that I just Mm -hmm. told you. So six years later in 2003, federal lawyers reviewed David's case and believed that his story wasn't told in full, like we just talked about. They saw that he was let down by every resource and every time he went to a place that should have helped him, they didn't. They appealed the case against the death penalty, saying it wasn't premeditated David had been in jail at that time for 22 years. The Missouri justice system commuted his sentence to life without parole. So he's not a death penalty case anymore. Thank God. I do think that was pretty harsh. It's like, dude, he was 19. Doesn't excuse it by any means, but hold that thought. John said that he, let's see here. Oh yeah. John's, David said that he had forgiven John and that he couldn't overcome what he did and that he respected the fact that he had tried to become a dad. I don't know about that. So John not only, or David not only forgave John, he forgave him to the point where he's basically saying like, he couldn't overcome who he was, a pedophile. Mm -hmm. And that I don't agree with he tried to become a dad. I I think he kept them as 
toys, objects. No, he was not, no. But I appreciate that David has reached a place. That's maximum empathy, dude. That's Mm -hmm. like a whole different... I'm not even there. I have people that I'm like, nah. (laughs) Yeah. Nah, dog. David is still in prison, and there is a change.org petition to get him released. He has a new lawyer now, and she says his sentence is unconstitutional. She says, quote, the court should look at evolving standards of decency and, quote, in late adolescence, the brain is still developing. In fact, it develops into the mid-20s. So for David Barnett, at the time that he committed his crime, he lacked the ability to control his impulses. And so I did read the beginning of her, of the case file, for, or the court, what am I trying to say? I don't know. Filing, the court filing. Yes. Ah. She alleges that they violated the Eighth Amendment, and that states, quote, excessive bail shall not be required, nor excessive fines imposed, nor cruel and unusual punishment inflicted on a person. No word yet on his final appeal. I mean, obviously, it takes years. Yeah. Looks like it was filed in 2004. She started working with him around 2003-ish. Dude, 20, yeah. Yeah. that's, That's our justice system, y'all. It sucks. In 2017... John Barnett died of natural causes with no charges brought against him. Of course not. And I hope it was painful. Me too. I was like, God, I hope it was cancer. Like a, like a pancreatic or something. That Colon. it didn't catch. Yeah. And they couldn't treat with chemo. See what I'm saying? I'm not evolved like that. Yeah, <laughs> this guy's no, got to go down no. hard. You know what I mean? Oh, I, so this is my theory. And I'm kind of pulling in a couple of different people we've talked about mm-hmm. i'm also pulling in the reign of it because because for our 69 case because it because why the fuck not why not <laughs> all <sighs> the penises yes we're just gonna talk about penises today i guess she okay so when you're in that kind of abusive relationship you always feel that heightened level of fear right right and there were two triggering events when he went to his grandparents house first of all he's talking about it and that's fucking triggering as shit because you're basically having to relive it. Right. Secondly, it's that god dang ring. It's the ring that both he and his grandpa, like John and his dad, wore. Every time David was struck by his grandpa, he just was constantly being reminded of, hey, this is happening at home. It just kind of took him back to mm-hmm. that place. Right. So it makes sense to me. Maybe they did get into an altercation. He got hit and then it just kind of like flipped a switch and then he dissociated, literally blacked out. And then his rage for what was happening to him at John's house came out on Mm -hmm. his grandparents. Yes. I kind of flipped it on reverse to here because I was thinking John was going to be the one at the end of a bloody knife, if you know what I mean. Right. It was not. And I think that's the hard part too. And why David's actually accepting the fact he's like, I, I deserve to be here. He actually yeah. even said, I should be here. Yeah. Because he's he was scared of himself. He was like, who the fuck was that? Right. I mean, but I get, my guess is it's all PTSD. Oh, 100%. Of course. I mean, the first season of The Sinner is this story. Spoiler alert, everybody. But it really is. Yeah. Because she was going through, remember, she... I didn't bum, watch bum, it. Bum. Oh, you didn't watch it? Okay. It, the first scene is really, really good. I do recommend that one. But essentially it says the same thing. You're repeating a behavior or you're being triggered by something that is very close to what's 
is, is your source of trauma. So, right. Yeah. It's a tough one. I don't know. Um, there are a lot of people who obviously still believe, nah, this guy, he went in with an intent. He planned on doing this thing. And I don't think he ever planned on killing Mimo. I, I don't either. I don't either. In the police report, it said that he took like $130 out of her wallet, stole the car and left. My guess is because he's fucking homeless. He just wanted to sleep in and a eat. hotel before he went to jail. <laughs> Pretty much. That's, pro- that's my guess what he did. Yeah. At the beginning, Cecil saw him at the Steak and Shake in town. <laughs> steak and Shake, right? Yeah. <laughs> and she said he looked like no one she'd ever seen before that moment. Yeah. That, and then my guess it was that was the moment, the morning of, before he walked over to a cop and said, hey, I killed my grandparents. Yeah. So it's crazy. So yeah, now I'm kind of wanting to watch that show to see like, hmm. Who else is, mm-hmm. you know, what's up in the system right now? But it just makes me so sad too. So I'm kind of like, I don't know if I want to watch a sad. I got enough sad. We got yeah. enough sad. I know. <laughs> I know. Ugh. That's why I watch shitty reality shows. I don't blame you. Oh, who do you have for a treasure child? Well, I'm going to tell you after a potty break. Okay. Yeah, so who do you have for us? Well, I have someone who makes prosthetic penises for episode 69. Prosthetic what now? Penises. (laughs) You say it so softly. Why do you say penises? Say it it like that. Penises. (laughs) Honestly, it's a weird word, dude. So is vagina. They're both weird. I don't say that V word. You don't say Have it? you ever heard me say it? I say kudaku, I say coochie, I say hoo-ha, Snatch. I say bajanga. Yeah. I say anything but the V word. Well, what do you say for the P word? Penis. But just really small. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So prosthetics. Hey, you know what? Hey. Get it. I mean, because like, we're allowed to have your fake titties. Why can't you have a prosthetic? You know, I was kidding. Oh, <laughs> I was like, yes, and it. And I was like, yeah, okay. Gee, what, what parent is going to let their child make prosthetic penises? Maybe it was for victims of, uh, there are landmines that people step on and, you know, things happen. You know, um, they never talk about that. They only talk about if they blow their legs off. That's true. I mean, but let's be real. If I were a man, I'd be like, hey. Help a brother out, Exactly right? right. I bet that's a thing people just don't talk about. Maybe. Let's talk about it. Let's, Let's normalize it. Let's talk about it. We're talking Hashtag about it. Hashtag normalized prosthetic penis. <laughs> NPP. Yes. NPP, you oh, know oh. me. <laughs> oh, this is great. I'm glad we're ending it like this. <laughs> we're out of control. Fuck. <sighs> no, but for real. Yeah, for real. I'm going to talk about Easton LaChapelle from Fort Collins, Colorado. He is the co-founder and CEO of Unlimited Tomorrow. Unlimited Unlimited Tomorrow was founded in 2014 when he was just 17 years old. So Easton founded Unlimited Tomorrow actually with Tony Robbins. Oh. Do you want to know how he met Tony Robbins? You met Tony Robbins? Not me, Easton. (laughs) No more gummies for you. So Easton met Tony Robbins when... Easton did a TED talk. Oh yeah, you know, just a, you know, super chill. Like, oh mm-hmm. yeah, I just did like a fucking TED talk. Yeah, I did one last week. Didn't y'all hear it? Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. So what Unlimited Tomorrow does is 
They use 3D printing, 3D scanning, 3D modeling, and virtual communications to create prosthetics. That's awesome. <laughs> it really is prosthetics. Dude, that's freaking amazing. So they actually have partnered with Siemens, HP, Siemens, damn it, HP, Microsoft, and many others to create their innovative prosthetics. So Easton, he's continuing to grow the company and has created technology to expand the access for people at the global level. Holy shit. Then in 20, June of 2020, they launched TrueLim. It is a completely personalized 3D printed prosthetic arm packed with next generation features. Oh my God. The company offers TrueLim directly to the customer for one-tenth the cost of traditional prosthetics and also offers remote fitting, which is the first in the industry. Holy shit. How do they remote fit? I have no idea. That's probably where HP, Microsoft, Siemens, and all those companies come in. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and also with the technology... So they, True Limb, they offer the prosthetics that move. Like an arm, like yeah. a hand or a mm-hmm, foot mm-hmm. or something. Yeah. So, you know, I forgot where I was going. Now I've had too many gummies. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's really cool because they also are needed to produce an economy, a mass economy of scale to mm-hmm. make the cost be as low as possible. Right. I mean, because mm-hmm. it's not feasible to have you know, one person in a garage try to do it and, you know, the cost to not be astronomical and everything else. So So how did all this come about? I mean, how did a 17-year-old want to create a prosthetic limb company? That's kind of weird, right? 100%. So when Easton was 14, he made his first mechanical hand out of Legos, fishing wire, and surgical tubing. Dude, that's cool. So he then continued to prove his design with 3D parts here and there. And then by chance at a science fair, he met a seven-year-old girl who who had a prosthetic arm, which cost (gasps) $80,000. Holy fuck. And it would have to be replaced every single time she outgrew it. Which is like every fucking year, at least. So this is what inspired Easton to turn his little prototype that he was like, start out with Legos and fishing wire and then little by little with 3D parts into a real affordable prosthetic. Holy crap. So that's how all this started, you know? And then of course, because this happened, he did a TED talk mm-hmm. and that's why he met Tony Robbins. Amazing. And that is how he was able to start Unlimited tomorrow. So even more amazing, everything he knows about robotics, he has self-taught. Dude. So, parents, whatever your kid is interested in, fucking encourage the fuck out of them. Exactly. So, I'm going to kind of put this into perspective for you when I say he is offering affordable prosthetics that do amazing things. I found on one website that said his latest prosthetics that controls movement by brainwave measurements costs how much do you think? $8,000. Under $400. Oh, are you are you shitting me? No. Holy crap. Now, 
I don't think these are like mass produced prosthetics uh-huh. and they choose who they work with and they work with children specifically. So like if I unfortunately would have to have something amputated, they would not be interested in getting me a prosthetic. But I'm about to tell you about this an amazing story. So Easton collaborated with Microsoft to make a prosthetic arm for a nine-year-old girl. This prosthetic arm can hold nine pounds. And listen to this. It has magnetic painted fingernails. <gasps> so she can be just like all the other nine-year-old little girls. Oh my God, dude. That's amazing. So she can have different nail like paint on her on her hand. That's so sweet and thoughtful. I mean... Honestly, it's shit like that. You know what I mean? Like that little detail that makes you feel like a human. Yes. Oh. Yes. So this teenager, this kid, he didn't have... Did not affect him personally. He did not lose a limb. He did not have any of his family lose a limb. He did not know anybody that lost a limb. He just met this random little girl... At a science fair that had lost a limb and he was into robotics and I believe a lot of people who are into robotics make moving limbs like hands and things yeah. and so I think that explains the hand that he made with Legos fishing wire blah 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 and that's what inspired him to turn it into a prosthetic arm yeah like he had no real connection to her like personally right like not like his sister or yeah no cousin yeah yeah it's amazing so when your kids are into things because like it doesn't sound like he was in like robotics like they were teaching robotics at school this was just like he was into it he was learning on his own he was probably probably watching youtube videos yeah your kids are into something they're on the youtube all day encourage it buy them the legos buy them the fishing wire whatever let them do their projects if it's chemicals and be careful nitrogen and <laughs> hydrogen don't. yeah might want to supervise that but yeah, yeah yeah let them do it in the kitchen not the basement yeah but encourage it absolutely i mean look at that he just took all his passions and then did this incredible thing for I me mean, for the world really and $400? I mean, think how much money wow. he could be making off of this. Oh, and he's yeah. choosing not to. We need more Eastons in the world, to mm-hmm. be completely fucking honest. Mm-hmm. Especially when it comes to the medical field. Where it's like, wow, maybe it's not profits over people. Mm. Just for like a whole hot minute. For like one little second. Yeah. I'm with you on that. Yeah. <laughs> that was our TED Talk. <laughs> Thank you for coming to our TED Talk. <laughs> We're good at it. Let us be on the real TED Talk. <laughs> we should just submit one of our podcast episodes to be like, we would love to be a TED Talk. They're like, oh, we're going to pass. How many times have I said thank you for coming to my TED Talk in my own episodes? <laughs> a lot. I mean, a I lot. really want to do one. I don't even know what a TED Talk is. I, I just know I want to do one. That's about it. That's as far as I've gotten. Because I always say... Oh, he met Tony Robbins at a TED Talk. Oh, they were they did a TED Talk. And it's always the good people. And uh-huh. I'm like, that must be a great thing. Yeah, you're like, that must be a super cool thing that cool people do. I'm like, I always include it. I'm like, oh, they did a TED Talk. Oh, God. Well, I'm so glad that we're a source of information for people. 
some sort of source of, of any sort of facts or reality. Oh, sorry about that. Please still listen next week. Yeah, please still listen. Oh, God. Thank y'all so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us today. You can find us on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. And as always, we'll see you next Tuesday.